Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080 Light 100.5 WRCH and 96.5 TIC. I'm Morgan Cunningham. First time hosting Face Connecticut and very excited to be spending that time with you. This morning, we're going to be chatting with Kate Diaz. She's the president of the Connecticut Education Association. Good morning, Kate. Thank you so much. I always look forward to the opportunity to talk about all things education. Well, and we've certainly had a lot of changes recently in the last two years, but even in just the last two months when we think about schooling in Connecticut. And one thing that's been on people's minds the last two months, really since the beginning of this year, is masking in schools. Now, there have been changes to mask policies in schools in Connecticut, but could you give us a broad look at what it's looked like up to this point? up until March, really, of 2022? So I think, you know, most of us um, in schools have followed whatever the Department of Public Health guidance has been. You know, we don't operate in vacuums. We really are, and honestly, you know, the decisions being made at the local and the state level are not made based on sort of opinion even. They're really based on what does the data tell us at this time. So what we really have looked at is vaccination trends, positivity rates, and um, hospitalizations. And so our mask policy is really a reflection, as are all our mitigation strategies, of what is the public health circumstance at that time. So we did see, obviously, in January, a big surge with the Omicron variant. We had a big push wanted the high quality masks. We were informed that that is the best protection from spread. And honestly, for us at that moment, that particular mindset was about how do we keep schools open? Because that has been our number one priority. And the concern wasn't so much, were we going to really suffer greatly with COVID? But once you get COVID, you're out of your classroom. Once your students get COVID, they're out of the classroom. Um, And so There was this recognition at that moment that we had to really double down on high quality masking because that's what the the science was telling us. That's what the DPH was telling us that, listen, we have to have these high quality masks or we're going to have massive spread that could result in closures. And we saw that. We saw Ansonia had to close for four days. Waterbury had closures. Um, Other districts had building based closures. So we know that we had to do something. Flash forward, February comes, Omicron starts to wane. 
Um, the real trigger factor for some of this was the hospitalization rates. So in talking with Commissioner Jathani, she really focused in on hospitalization as an indicator of severity. So we kind of paired um, hospitalization with positivity and said, okay, what is the, what is the actual landscape look like? Um, and I think that started to open the door to the conversation of, is this something that we would better serve our communities by handing it over to municipalities to determine? Um, and so that's, I think, the triggering. It's really been, though, from our policy point of view about what is the Department of Public Health telling us? What is the data about positivity and hospitalizations telling us? Um, so we come here to March and we're at a space where I think a lot of people are comfortable thinking, all right, let's let's try and release the reins as some of the states around us have and hopefully uh, have the same kind of success as states around us have experienced. We do have word from other cities, uh, in particular, bigger school districts. We're talking about New Haven, Hartford, right. and so forth. And well before March came around, they were saying, we're going to keep masks on. It makes sense for them to do that that far in advance? So I think it, it's something that I think they're trying really hard to look at what's going on in their localities and make decisions that'll do exactly what we've said, which is to keep schools open. So if they feel that that's the right move in their locality, looking at their hospitalization, positivity and vaccination rates, then absolutely. And, you know, if I'm in a district that has a low vaccination rate, for example, I might be more conservative about releasing the mask um, requirement. If I have a high vaccination rate, I might feel more adept about doing that and to see, you know, the risks vary by locality dependent upon a lot of factors. So if they felt that that's the safest, most responsible thing to do, then I think, you know, my guess is they aren't doing it in a vacuum. They're talking to their public health advisors and they're trying to make a decision that allows kids to stay in school because we know that's the most important thing that we can do for them. What about testing kits and uh, masks available to staff and to students, as well as other PPE? Is that going to be continued to be in schools? Is that something the CEA is still calling for? Absolutely. I mean, from our perspective, utilizing those mitigation strategies makes a lot of sense. Um, allowing students to have access to um, testing, you know, to kind of address are my symptoms uh, COVID related or are they seasonal allergies? You know, we're getting into allergy season. We recognize that this is going to happen, that, that conflict. Um, so really making those tests available and the governor had assured us from the get-go that we have a certain, you know, a significant supply of tests. He was going to get those into the hands of the school districts. We're hearing that districts are sending, you know, a test pack home with every single student saying, test, it's okay. You know, if you need to be out, you need to be out. No, if you, it's COVID, no, if it's not. And that's going to help, no question. And I think access to high quality masks is an assurance that some of our more medically vulnerable individuals will really want. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a caregiver or for my spouse or my child is medically vulnerable, I'm still going to want the assurance of a high quality mask. 
So I think the more things we can do to really mitigate the the spread of the the disease, you know, the illness, the better off we'll all be. Um, I'm a firm believer that once we can start opening these windows, ventilating our spaces better, that that is also an additional assurance that makes people feel like we're doing all that we can. Um, but we're in a, I feel like we're in a good space. We're moving um, towards, you know, health-based decisions uh, that allow us to keep kids in school and really be able to take care of our people as well. Flashback to January 1, 2022, COVID positivity was above 20% across the state. And there were concerns at that time about the availability of masking and also PPE testing, so forth. Are there concerns about getting tests and masks now? So interestingly enough, you know, you're absolutely right. January 2022 um, was at best a hectic time. Um, We were absolutely feverishly trying to get uh, resources, figure out where they were, how to get them in the hands of the people that needed them, how to get schools open on day one with what they needed, accessible readily to staff and students. Um, And it was difficult and it was not always successful Um, You know, we had a lot of issues trying to get the distribution lines free flowing with masks and tests. However, I will say that for the most part, there are still a couple hiccups getting things where they need to be. But for the most part, people have access to what they need. There seems to be they just did another delivery of tests um, into the school districts. So there should be ample supplies of of rapid tests for school districts to use either on site or to send home with students um, for staff availability. So really as sort of a point of prevention, knowing whether or not you have COVID, um, we have ample supply of those tests. Those seem to be very on hand um, as are, from what I'm hearing, masks. It seems as though whatever sort of the the hiccup was in getting those out, we seem to have relieved some of those pressure points, gotten more mass into the hands. Um, It is by no means perfect. I still have some districts that are struggling, but I would say the overwhelming majority have access to the mass that they need um, and the tests that they need. So we've worked through that at this point. (laughs) I'm optimistic maybe perhaps, but we've seemed to have worked through that. With masks coming off for a number of school districts across the state, is the CEA calling for protections for perhaps staff who may still be at risk for catching COVID to protect vulnerable individuals? So we've definitely called on our districts to support our our professionals with uh, high quality masks. That means if they need a, a, a fitted N95, if they need something even greater than, you know, a, a can 95 or a surgical mask, let's find a way to make those available. We've definitely asked for that. Um, if there are situations where we can um, move a teacher from a classroom that maybe let's say has no windows and into a better ventilated space, we've, we can ask for that. There are ways, you know, every single district is kind of troubleshooting this because the districts have different facility issues as well. You know, if you're in a building that is properly ventilated um, and has the high quality um, filters, you have one different mechanism. If you're in a building built in 1925 and your best hope is to open windows and hey, some of them don't open, we have to look different 
for different solutions. Um, and in some cases, we have had accommodations where teachers are allowed to teach remotely. Um, there, you know, it, it's there's a lot of ways that we're trying to navigate that. But the other thing that we've asked for is recognition that by uh, making masks optional, there is a greater chance educators could get the get the virus. I think we know that that means that the spread potentially could increase. So we have asked our legislators um, to open the COVID relief fund to say, listen, uh, you know, are, is there access to that time, that COVID relief fund um, for sick days related to COVID that was contracted within the school environment? And so we're, we're kind of working to try and protect people from that as well. Schools are very unique environments. They're not like a traditional workplace. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I go to work. I go to work every day. Um, and yet one of the things that people don't understand is that schools are unique. I'm in a classroom with anywhere between 20 to 28 kids, um, sometimes more than that if they cycle through, like if you're in a high school. They're not properly ventilated spaces. They're not maintained with HVAC standards of any kind. Um, and they're not really protected spaces. And you know, you go into a work environment, your employer may have required vaccine man, you know, required vaccines. So you be maybe looking at 95% of the people are vaccinated. You go into a school, the majority of the students are not vaccinated. So you're really in a very different environment. So I, I often try and remind people, you know, we sit in our office spaces and talk about this. It's very different than the reality of a classroom environment. Um, so we're sensitive to that. And we're trying to figure out what are the solutions. You know, obviously as high quality mask as you, can, as you need to feel safe, um, access to sick time if you get COVID and making sure that if there are additional mitigation strategies, things that we can put into place um, that are going to protect a, a vulnerable teacher that we do that. Um, so, so far so good. We've been working a lot with one-off with districts and trying to focus. Um, we'll see, <laughs> time will tell on that. For anyone just joining us this morning on Face Connecticut, I'm Morgan Cunningham, WTIC 1080 News, and we are speaking with Kate Diaz. She's the president of the Connecticut Education Association. And Kate, you said something interesting there that brought me back to about a year ago. You were talking just now about how some schools, maybe they have windows that don't open. Uh, perhaps there are classrooms that don't have windows at all. There was talk about a year ago of getting some federal COVID relief money to schools to improve HVAC systems, to get new windows. Have any schools taken advantage of that? Has that been made available? So all of the school districts have had their their COVID relief funds um, distributed, and, and those are available to them. Um, most, almost all districts have done nothing to address the those issues. And um, it's interesting because as we go into this legislative session, I've been talking a lot about indoor air quality and why this needs to not just be something we put money at, but, we, but that we start installing standards around. Because one of the challenges that we've faced is, you don't, nobody has to do that. It's a goodwill like, oh, we should do it because it's the right thing to do. But there are zero air quality standards related to school buildings. So it's not a must do, it's we'd like you to. 
Um, and so districts haven't really moved on this issue. They've all said, oh, this is important. This is important. This is important. And we're even seeing the governor set aside $90 million um, in the federal relief funds in this year's budget, the new budget proposal specifically targeted for indoor air quality. But what we've learned over the last two years is that absent standards, something that requires it, mandates the district to address this, they do something else. Um, they focus on something else. So it's not something that's going to happen unless there's really a shift in our standards. Uh, it's been fascinating because to your point, we've had a huge influx of resources into school districts that absolutely could have gone to these things and they just didn't, didn't. I mean, we had a, we've, we've had all kinds of things go on um, that should have been addressed that haven't been. And so we need, we need a bigger shift than just money, it turns out. Do you think that that shift is going to come this legislative session? So I'm hopeful. Uh, a lot of our response from legislators is understanding that there needs to not, there needs to be support. This can't be a lip service, that there really needs to be some anchoring in a standards that, that say, listen, this is what must happen in schools. Um, and, you know, I've testified so far with appropriations. We've talked to many legislators, both Republicans and Democrats, and there seems to be an understanding that it's time to shift this needle, that it's not acceptable to hope that it works out, um, that this is no longer a, it would be nice luxury item. This is a must do um, item. So I'm optimistic. I've had, had a lot of positive responses from people saying that they wanna make this happen this, this session. If we can fast forward, and I know sometimes it's hard to think about tomorrow, but if we could put ourselves in the mindset of December 2022, January 2023, maybe there's going to be another surge of COVID. If there is another surge of COVID, whether it's at that time or another time, are there any advanced contingency plans for future COVID surges? Is it possible that there could be another across the state mask mandate? Is that something that's going to be left up to the districts? Is that something that the CEA has thought about? So we recognize that we can no longer say any of this is unprecedented, right? I mean, I think that's the interesting part, right? I had a reporter say that to me one day. They're like, well, this is unprecedented times. And I said, I have a hard time with that two years in. We, we have a lot of precedent at this point. So I think we've all learned a tremendous amount in the last year. I think we're going to be quicker to say, hey, there's a spike coming. What are we going to do? Um, I think there's, there's room to still go back to a statewide issuance if there's a medical suggestion. So again, it's not a, a I feel like it's got to be a reaction to a true shift in the medical situation and the public health situation. I think that my, my personal instinct is that this is going to be kept at the local level until it's a crisis that must be addressed at the state level. So I think if you see spikes, you see um, certain things pop, come up, it will likely be managed at the local level as a, as a primary source of addressing it. So you'll see a local mask mandate come into play, a local school building mandate come into play. All those things happen long before you'll see anything else. Um, and I think we, we never want to go to a space where we um, send everybody home again. I think we all know that if we can avoid that at every possible 
you know, I, I think you'll see, you know, more testing availability, masking requirements, um, social distancing requirements. Some of those things come back long before you'll ever see a, a closure occur ever again. And we would, we would definitely say watching all those public health indicators is so incredibly important to making decisions as quickly as we can and getting resources in the hands of people as quickly as we can. Are you hearing any worries or concerns from staff now that masks are coming off? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think we saw, we did our initial survey at the uh, beginning of February to say, hey, where is everybody at with this? And we really had a split decision on our, our staff. And some of that does have to do with the wide variety of working conditions. You know, if I'm in a building um, and I have a very large classroom, my students can space out. I might feel very differently than if I'm in a building where I have a small classroom, 28 students, really cramped spaces all on top of each other. So we did find that a huge variety of opinion often reflected working conditions. Um, so we're hearing from the people who are like, no, it's time. We're, we're comfortable with this decision, but we're also hearing from the people who are concerned that have said, you know, I feel I still feel vulnerable here. I feel like I have small children at home and I can't, they can't be vaccinated. And if I spend all day in a space with, you know, unvaccinated individuals and with a higher spread ratio, am I going to be bringing this home to my children? Like what, what is my family's protection in this environment? And so I think it's important that we, we constantly be talking about, okay, what are the ways that you protect yourself, right? What are the ways that you ensure that your needs are met? Um, and, and so it is making sure that those masks are available, that the windows, the ventilation spaces are available and really talking about, okay, how, what do we know to be true? versus what we feel. Cause I think often those things are, can be in conflict, right? We know this is true, but I still don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, I'm a data person, so I feel comfortable when the data starts to tell me to feel comfortable. I'm very connected in that sense. But if you're not a person that that really is reassurance, then we have to talk about that. And so we're doing a lot of communicating with our, our members and saying, listen, where are you at? What is it that's going to make this feel you know, like you can move forward um, successfully because that's what we really want. We want teachers to feel supported, heard, um, and and really like we've, we've got your back. We're going to do whatever we can to make you feel safe. Are there resources in place for teachers who may be concerned about the bullying aspect in schools? I've heard concerns that there are worries that students are going to be bullied because they are choosing to wear a mask or not wear a mask when it's optional. Are you hearing about that? Yeah, I think we, you know, teachers have absolutely expressed that, like, how are we going to navigate this road, right? Like, what, what are the, and what we've really asked and called upon is our superintendents to lay the groundwork, to reach out to families and parents and say, this is what a mask optional policy looks like. This is how we are going to function in, in this environment. My expectations with regarding respecting people's decisions, because again, that can flow either direction. It could be that, you know, pressure on the student who's wearing masks or pressure on the students who don't. And what we want to ensure is that this mask um, conversation doesn't become a barrier to education. And that's done with pre-work. That's with making sure we communicate with families. And so we've really reached out. Um, I'm fortunate that the president, um, or excuse me, the executive director of the Superintendents Association 
works a lot with me and shares openly and, and listens to me. I am grateful for that because I called her and I said, you know, the communication on this is a priority for us, making sure that everything we say leading up to and working through the unmasking kind of puts us all on the same ground floor, that we all have the same game plan. Um, because I think that's the difference between success and failure, truthfully. So that's really been a key for us. Kate Diaz, president of the Connecticut Education Association. Great conversation with you this morning on Face Connecticut. I know there are many other issues and topics that we could bring up, a litany of them, but I think that we've run out of time for the morning. But do you have any final thoughts you'd like to get out there? You know, I am incredibly optimistic. Our educators are really committed to doing everything they can to make this the best school year possible for students and recognizing it has been hard. There, It has been fraught with challenges, but I don't know if it's the optimism of spring around the corner, but I think people have really done a tremendous amount of work to keep kids in school this year and to achieve as much success as is humanly possible. And I'm really proud um, to be representing teachers in the state of Connecticut. Thank you, Kate. Kate Diaz, president of the Connecticut Education Association. I'm Morgan Cunningham. As we wrap up Face Connecticut for this week, have yourself a great rest of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 